Good evening. I'm Marcus Leader, and I would like to invite you on a journey of discovery as I pull back the veil and give you a glimpse of the multiverse through the eyes of a Toltec shaman. So sit back, relax, turn up the volume, and turn down the lights. You're now listening to The Shaman's Brew.
play music that is uh, relative to the topic of the show. And this last song you heard, uh, Viva Las Vegas by ZZ Top, has absolutely nothing to do with the show. But I am about to leave on a trip to Las Vegas, uh, part business, part pleasure, and I'm going to a sacred canyon there that uh, is known for its uh, shadow sightings, so I guess there is some connection. In the second half of tonight's show, I'm going to play for you part two of the presentation given by Skip Atwater, president of the Monroe Institute. In the first half of this show, I'm going to play for you something I recently discovered. It's an old uh, radio drama about shadow people. And if you can get past all the, the cheesy organ music, uh, it's actually... Pretty good, uh, interesting um, presentation. And I'm going to be devoting an entire show in the very near future to the subject of shadow people. So uh, I thought I'd, I'd give you just a little, little preview here. Anyway, after uh, this next message, uh, we will start with the program on the shadow people. We're proud to announce two brand new releases from best-selling author and world-famous lecturer, Robert Bruce. This spiritual master has just released a new book and a DVD video course, so listen up. His new book, Practical Psychic Self-Defense, is going to teach you how to exercise real demons from possessed people, eliminate and destroy harmful nakes, banish evil spirits, and much, much more. Be sure to grab his book at any major bookstore. And Robert's brand new DVD, A Class with Robert Bruce, teaches you all about self-healing and manifestation through energy work. In this killer video course, you're going to learn how to energize your chakras for psychic ability, heal physical disease through meditation, and manifest your true purpose in life. Go to astralbob.com right now to sign up, because when you join, you get his best-selling book, Astral Dynamics, free for a short time. So go to astralbob.com right now and help Robert Bruce build the biggest, most active spiritual family on Earth. In just a moment, the Hall of Fantasy will present The Shadow People. And now for our story. 
an original tale of fantasy by Richard Thorne entitled The Shadow People. Somewhere along the line of your life, you've met them. You have come in contact with the shadow people. When did we first discuss it? Oh, yes, Brian and Elaine and I. It was in my apartment. There was only one light on in the entire place. Oh! What's wrong? Elaine, what's the matter? Oh, it's, it's silly, I know, but I... I, th- I thought I saw something in that doorway over there. Where? Over there, right over there. Where are you going, David? Over to that archway, just to let you know that nothing's here. Huh. You see, Elaine, nothing's wrong, nothing at all. Are you satisfied that there's no one else here but us? Yes, I... Oh, I'm sorry, I just thought that I... Leave the overhead lights on. I'm sorry, I thought that... Put them back on, David, please. All right, Elaine. Look, what's bothering you, sis? I don't know, it's just that... I don't know. Tell us about it, Elaine. Tell us what's bothering you. You promise that you... You won't laugh at me? Of course not. Brian? Elaine, I'm your brother. If something's troubling you, uh, I'd like to know about it. All right, then. The reason I was so upset... was the fact that I saw someone or... something standing in that archway. But Elaine, David showed you that there was no one else in here. When the lights were put on, you saw for yourself that we were alone. I'm not talking about something you... You can see in the light, Brian. I'm not talking about a human being. Then what's it all about, Elaine? In the darkness, I... I saw something that can't be seen in a lighted area. And I've seen it several times before. You're sure you're not imagining this, Elaine? Oh, I don't have that good an imagination, Brian. How long have you... Have you seen this thing, Elaine? Well, it... It started about six weeks ago. You were in Detroit on business, Brian... Mom and Dad were on vacation. I was in the house by myself, in the library. There was only one light on. I sat in the chair beneath it, reading. Several times I thought that something was watching me. I felt there was someone in the room with me, standing right in back of me. Every so often I'd glance back over my shoulder, but there seemed to be nothing there. And then... Then I thought I heard someone whispering. I wasn't sure, but when I heard it again, I got up and I, I, I looked all over the house. Oh, I'm not easily frightened, you know that, but, but out in the hallway, it was almost entirely black. Luckily, I was near a light switch. I looked back over my shoulder and, and I saw this huge, hulking shape for the first time. And I heard a voice. Rather, the whisper of a voice. I couldn't distinguish the words. But that dark shape seemed to be moving towards me. My hand was on the light switch and I turned it on. In a minute, the light flooded the hallway. The shape was gone. There was nothing there. I was alone again. As long as there's light, I know it can't hurt me. I know it can't reach me. You might have imagined it, you know. Of course, that's possible, but I'm sure I didn't. It was so real. So real, that shape in the darkness. It was the very essence of evil itself. There was an old man I knew of, a Dr. Hesedius. 
I'd heard that he knew quite a good deal about the supposed supernatural manifestations which had taken place in the world. I went to him to see if he knew anything that might explain the events of the story Elaine had told us. Yes, my good sir. What do you wish? I have an appointment with Dr. Hesedius. Oh, yes, yes. He mentioned something about it. You are Mr. Drake? Yes. If you'll come inside. Thank you. Dr. Hesedius is in the study. Please come with me. Doctor? A visitor for you? Oh, yes. Bring him in. You may go now. Yes, Doctor. Mr. Drake? Yes. Sit down, please, in that chair over there. Thank you, sir. Now, what is the nature of your visit to me? Well, I understand, Dr. Vesedius, that you have a great knowledge of the supernatural manifestations which have occurred on the earth. Great knowledge, Mr. Drake? No, hardly that. I have only scratched the surface in my years of study. Perhaps I can help you, then again, perhaps I cannot. Well, may I tell you the story? By all means, my good sir. All right. Now, this didn't happen to me, Doctor, but to my fiancée. It seems that about six weeks ago, when she was alone, but when the light was on, the dark form disappeared. And that's the story, sir. As much of it as I can remember. Mm -hmm. I see. It's a strange tale you tell. I'm fully aware of that, Dr. Vesilius. You say she seemed to hear whispered voices? Yes, that's what she says. I see. A moment, please. I have a book in my file. Oh, yes. Here it is. I think this is the one. Yes. Perhaps I may be able to help you after all. Let me see. This is a very ancient book, Mr. Drake. I seem to remember... Yes. Here is an account of a happening such as you relate. And we shall live on the earth and they shall not see us. Yes, it has been foretold by the ruler of the darkness. They who live by day, retire to sleep by night, shall never know that we walk with them, that we watch them, that we wait for our chance. Only in the night will they see us, for in the daylight we are not seen. Only in the night... When the darkness grows together and the forms of the shadow people are shaped from the blackness, they will know us. They will know that we are their companions, for we are the shadow people. I knew I had read something similar to the story you have told me, Mr. Drake. Dr. Asilius, what can we do? Well, give me a little time. Let me see if I can find any more references to these uh, people of the darkness. One more thing, Mr. Drake. Yes. Be sure that your fiancé is never left alone at night. Be sure that there is some living thing, animal or human, which accompanies her every second of the night. For she is in danger, Mr. Drake. A terrible danger. Back now to our story. An original tale of fantasy by Richard Thorne, entitled The Shadow People. That night, 
The night of the day I had seen Cecilius. Elaine's mother died. She died in her sleep. When she failed to appear for breakfast, Elaine's father went upstairs to see what was wrong. When he entered her room, he discovered that she was dead. The family doctor couldn't explain it. For Elaine's mother had been in perfect health. A few weeks later, I was out of the house spending a weekend with them. I glanced at the clock on the mantel and it showed eleven. I can't understand why Brian hasn't returned from town. Well, he said he had some extra work to catch up on. He told me this morning that he might be late. Well, eleven o'clock. I'm going upstairs. Glad you came out, David. Good seeing you again. It's a pleasure to be here, sir. Well, don't stay up too late. See you both in the morning. Good night, Dad. Good night, Mr. Davis. He isn't the same, David. Ever since Mother died, he hasn't been the same. I didn't realize that until tonight. He's changed. I only hope that he'll start living again. Ever since she died, it seems that a part of him died with her. Elaine, have you been... I mean, have you seen anything else since you spoke to me last? No, I haven't. Ever since... Mother died. Nothing's happened. Well, I only hope... <laughs> Came from upstairs. Come on. You don't think... I don't know what to think. I only hope that... David. David, if anything's happened to us... We'll see you in a moment. There's no light in this room. You were here, Elaine. Where's the light? Over to your left. David, what's wrong? Why didn't you leave the light on? Your father's dead, Elaine. <laughs> I'd walked into the darkened bedroom. On the bed was Elaine's father. It didn't take a second look for me to know that he was dead. I switched off the light and walked back into the hallway to tell Elaine what happened. And then from the room there had come an eerie, quiet laughter... In the darkness of that room was some unknown evil power. The voice itself was unearthly. There was no substance to it. It sounded as if... as if it came from the darkness itself. No. No, I don't believe you. It's the truth, Elaine. There's nothing more I can do. We'll have to notify the police. Tell me it's not the truth, David. Tell me it's not true. I'm sorry, Elaine. I wish I could. Your father's dead. After the burial, Dr. Hesselius got in touch with me. He said that he wanted to meet both Elaine and Brian, that he wanted to talk to the three of us. Accordingly, a few nights later, he came out to their house. Miss Davis, will you tell me just when you saw the first manifestation? The night Brian was in Detroit. Now, Miss Davis, you have even seen this apparition in the company of other people, is that correct? Yes. The night at David's apartment. All right. Now I'll tell you what I think. You are in deadly danger, Miss Davis. These beings want to claim you. So far, they have had no success. Only in the darkness do they have power. Little by little, step by step, they have been removing the obstacles in their way to reaching you. First your mother, and then your father, Miss Davis. Both died in the same fashion. In the darkness, death struck at them. Now tell me, do you feel their presence here in this room as I talk to you? Yes. 
Turn out the lights, Brian. Stand by the switch, if you please, Brian. If anything happens, turn the lights back on. All right. Dr. Vesilius, I don't... Do you want me to continue working with you? Yes, sir. All right, then. Brian, turn off the lights. Yes, doctor. The room now is in darkness, Miss Davis. Do you feel or see anything? No, I... Yes. Yes, I do. Do you see anything? Yes. Doctor, I don't... Be quiet, you fool. I know what I'm doing. In front of me. The darkness gathering together into a huge, terrible... Not only do you see us, Miss Davis, but everyone else in the room also will see the vague shapes forming themselves in the blackness. We do not want you, Dr. Hesilius. The girl we want. We advise you to drop this case. You will only bring down the wrath of the shadow people upon your head. The girl. We want the girl. Do not stop us. Let us take her now. Turn on the light. They're gone. Miss Davis, are you all right? Yes. Yes, I am. Just as she said. The darkness. I, I saw it form into something, too. So did I. What are we going to do, Dr. Hesilius? At the present moment, I don't know. But it's much I do know. You must leave this house immediately. You must try to get out of their reach. I don't know if that is possible. I hope it is. I shall have to return to my home. I must learn if there is some manner by which we can defeat these creatures. For the moment, leave this house. Dispose of it in any manner you may see fit. But leave this house. <laughs> Back now to our story, an original tale of fantasy by Richard Thorne, entitled The Shadow People. We spent the night in my apartment, the three of us. The following day, Brian and Elaine made arrangements to dispose of the house. In the afternoon, Dr. Hesilius called me and asked that I come to see him. David, I'm glad you're here. Anything new, Doctor? Yes and no. You realize, of course, that this spiritual manifestation is not new, that it has gone on for centuries. No, I wasn't aware of that. It's true, David. De Maupassant wrote uh, what was supposedly a fiction story about the manifestation, David. He called it uh, Orla. However, according to the information here on my desk, it was taken from an actual case history. Of course, he embroidered the story, added a few touches to something he didn't realize actually existed. But have you found anything with which we can fight them? Everything depends upon an answer I received from a colleague of mine in Paris, Dr. Henri Renault. I dispatched a telegram to him last night. Why hasn't he answered by now? There are certain things that must be done. It will take a few days, I'm afraid. We have to wait, David. There's nothing else we can do. In the next few days, the house was sold, and Brian and Elaine moved into a newer, more modern home a few miles from my apartment. Cecilia said it might take a few days for them to build up their power. I spent the nights at the new house. The lights were left on, and I watched for any unusual occurrence. In the daytime, I'd return to my apartment and get some sleep. 
About four days after Elaine and Brian moved into the new house, I was at home when Hesedius phoned me. Hello? David? Yes, Dr. Hesedius? I hate to tell you this, David. What's the matter? What's wrong? They were a step ahead of me, David. I just received word that Renault died or was killed at the very moment I sent the telegram to him. Step by step, they had outwitted us. For they had anticipated every move we'd make. Even Dr. Hesedius was at a loss as to what to do. He agreed to meet me at the Davis house. What did you want to see us about, Dr. Hesedius? Did you find out anything more? I'm sorry to say that I haven't. At the moment, I'm at a complete loss. I don't know what to do. But what did you want to see us about this evening? Merely to check, to see if anything else has happened. Miss Davis, have you seen or heard anything? Not in the house. Only in my dreams. Your dreams? Yes. When I go to sleep at night, in my dreams, in the darkness, I see them. And it's grown worse, much worse. I was hoping that it would not have progressed so far. There has been no disturbance in this house, but now they disturb your sleep, Miss Davis. Now, you must stay awake for as long as you can. I want the three of you to move into my house. Perhaps that will give you more protection. That night, we moved over to the Cedius house. Perhaps Elaine would have more protection there. From there, we might be able to devise some plan of action, some way to beat those beings. For a few days, things were quiet. The shadow people seemed to have withdrawn. For a while, I thought that we might have succeeded in thwarting their purpose. Elaine no longer complained of troubled sleep. But that condition lasted for a few days only. About ten days later, they made themselves known and felt again. That night, we were in the study. When suddenly, Hesedius whirled around and... Elaine, what are you looking at? Outside the house. Right where the light leaves off, I see them. She's right, Dr. Celius. I can see them, too. What should we do, Doctor? Nothing. What do you mean, nothing? There's nothing we can do. We can't just... We can't do anything, Brian. Don't you understand that they have us at their mercy? Greatest man in my field was Henri Renault. If he could do nothing against them, what do you think we can do? He's right, Brian. There's nothing we can do. As long as the house remains lighted, just so long will they remain outside. If the lights were to... That sounds like... My father was killed. The same sound we heard, the same sound. The lights. What's happened to the lights? I don't know. Be quiet, please. I thought of this emergency. A candle. That's right, Miss Davis. As long as this burns, this one candle will be safe. For they cannot advance into the light. They are limited by the darkness. As long as the candle burns, they will have to remain outside of this room. <laughs> Around you, in every room of the house, in the darkness outside, we are around you. This time you shall not escape. This time we will claim you. Take it easy, Brian. I, I can't stand it. Come back. Don't be a fool. I'm going after him. Stay here. We just can't let him go. He won't have a chance. I doubt it. Miss 
Davis. I'm afraid that your brother is dead. <laughs> says that God made humans from mud and clay, angels from light, and the jinn from smokeless fire. In the Western world, many people readily accept the idea of angels and demons, but most have no knowledge of the jinn, called God's other people. According to legend, the jinn were the first inhabitants of this world, where they lived for thousands of years before humanity arrived. In order to make room for humans, angels took the jinn out of this world and placed them in a dimension that parallels our own. There they stay hidden from our view. They have the ability to see and interact with us, but we have difficulty seeing them. They are cloaked in mystery and it suits their covert purpose. The goal of most Jinn is to retake this world, which they feel rightfully belongs to them. In order to succeed, they must first make humanity give up stewardship of this reality. They are accomplishing this by stealth and disguise. They have great powers and plenty of time, for they live for centuries. 
Shape-shifting gin may be responsible for many forms of paranormal phenomenon and experience, such as UFOs, shadow people, ghosts, poltergeists, and demonic possession. In such ways, they gain access to us that enables them to steal our life force and information about us and to manipulate and use us without revealing their true form and purpose. These negative experiences are on the rise. In their new book, The Vengeful Gen, authors Philip J. Imbrogno and Rosemary Ellen Guiley, two of the leading experts on the paranormal, present the findings of their in-depth investigation of the gen, who they are, what they're doing, and how can they be countered. Rosemary and Phil have established GenUniverse.com as an educational website about these mysterious and powerful beings. To learn more about the gen and their actions in our world, be sure to order your copy of their groundbreaking and revealing book, The Vengeful Gen, on the link provided on the homepage. All copies are autographed by both Rosemary Ellen Guiley and Phil Imbrogno. So be sure to visit genuniverse.com. That's D-J-I-N-N-Universe.com. The gen may be one of the greatest dangers to ever present itself to the human race. Now their mask is off. Hello everybody, my name is Badge. I'm a druid from Ireland and I'm very busy with the Safe Tower campaign. We're trying to divert the road that's going to be built, the toll road away from Tower Hill. So if any of you can help out with this, please go to our website at www.towerscreen.org and please help us to save the heart of Ireland from having a scar gouge right across it. I believe there are 40 million Americans that claim Irish descent. This concerns each and every one of you. Please help to save Tara and thank you for listening. And now part two of the presentation given by Skip Atwater, the president of the Monroe Institute. If you missed uh, part one, just uh, go to the archives and download uh, last week's show. Okay, let's, let's talk about the last thing in the list that might help you there, too, okay? Present tense, active voice, positive statements done in an altered state of consciousness. Okay, these are like suggestions for optimizing, okay? It's not absolute, but a suggestion. <coughs> and the last one is to objectify. Now, objectify is a remote viewing word, word that I stole from Ingo, Ingo Swan, and it has to do with making it physical. The word objectify here is using it in a verb form to physicalize it, to take it out of ethereal, wishy-washy mental space and make it a physical thing, physicalize or objectify, to make an object of it. And what we're talking about here is, you know, imagine yourself thinking in your mind, you're saying, no, maybe I'll do this, oh, I don't know. I could do this. You know, last time I was eating, we went to that big crystal palace. Maybe I'll do that. Nah, I've already been there. Let's go somewhere else. And you have all this sort of...
Steve, and we went to that big crystal palace. Maybe I'll do that. Nah, I've already been there. Let's go someplace else. And you have all this sort of just mental wishy-washy drifting through your mind. When you're dealing with your navigation tool, your compass for your experience, you want to make it a physical, solid thing. And the way to do that, one of the ways to do that is to objectify it. Make a physical object out of it. And what I'm talking about is saying out loud. When you talk, you create molecular movement. You've converted your thoughts into molecular physical movement with sound waves. When you write it down or draw it or sketch it, you are making it a physical object. So writing down your affirmation, maybe just before you get in the check unit, is a way to be physicalizing it. Okay, so this objectify, present tense, active voice, positive statements, gut knowledge to your consciousness, and objectified. So we've gone through, what, three things now in our recipe for this chocolate cake or this hemi sink process. First thing that's important is to get physically relaxed, to pay attention to your breathing, to set your intent. And the fourth thing is that of turning on your internal perceptual processes. Turning on your internal perceptual processes. Now this whole all comes from a rather dated psychological theory. I like to use the concept of theory because things change over the years. It's just a theory. But this one happens to be expletive of what I want to say, so I'll pull that one out of my pocket and use that theory. Sensory integration. Now this theory says that I identify with who I am, my identity, how I know myself. I know myself through constantly, repeatedly answering the questions in my head, subconsciously. Who am I? What am I doing? How do I feel about myself? Who am I? What am I doing? How do I feel about myself? Who am I? What am I doing? How do I feel about myself? Constantly, 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 constantly. Who am I? I'm skip out. What am I doing? I'm giving a laughter lecture. How do I feel about myself? Oh, well, I'm pretty good. I haven't messed up yet. I've got everything in order on my fingers. It's all written down right there. Present tense with positive Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got all the lists. That's good. Okay, go on to the next point. Now skip. Okay, fine. Here we go. Who am I? What am I doing? How do I feel about myself? Who am I? What am I doing? How do I feel about myself? I'm constantly refreshing my concept of self. Oh my goodness, I stumbled. This is horrible. Oh no, you know. I picked my nose. Oh, I look awful. You know? So, who am I? What am I doing? How do I feel about myself? Who am I? What am I doing? How do I feel about myself? Constantly reinforcing this. Now, where do I get information to answer those questions? I get that information from my five physical senses. What I see, what I hear, what I taste, what I smell. From my senses, I collect the information to answer the question. Who am I? What am I doing? And how do I feel about myself? That's the theory of sensory integration. I create my identity out of that information that I am collecting. Now, what happens when you go into the check unit you go to Focus 10, and you purposefully, with intent, turn off all your five physical senses. Okay. It sort of looks like this. You know, I think some of you may have experienced this. You know, you're going three, wishy, 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 four, <coughs> five, six, seven. 
one, one, awake and alert, awake and alert. <laughs> Take some notes in your journal and come on down to the conference room and we'll discuss this last exercise. <laughs> I get the idea that some of you may have experienced something like that. I like really short exercise. You see, if you don't turn on your internal perceptual processes, the thing that you know as you doesn't exist. Therefore, how can you have any experience? But they all have big heavy lids. Okay? Now, where did you get that? You got it from inside. You created it. You imagined it. You may think it's sort of pretend now if you want to. Later on the course, you might think, oh, it might not be so just pretend as I thought it was. But for right now, it doesn't matter. For right now, what does matter is that you created that from inside you. You turned on your internal perceptual processes so that you could have a security repository box. That's why it's important to move through this recipe, these exercises, and not leave out any steps. Now, what are some other things that are sort of like that, your internal perceptual processes? Well, the resident energy balloon, you create that yourself, right? Your internal perceptual processes. How about your deck dolphin, your energy <coughs> bar tool? You create that yourself, the living body map. All of those things depend upon your internal production of those from your internal senses. But you must turn those senses on lest you don't exist. You knowing yourself as something doesn't exist if you don't have any information to define that. You've turned off your physical senses. You have to get it from your internal perceptual process. Else, okay. Now, present, I'm sorry, you've got to start the list over again here. So we're going to go physical relaxation, pay attention to breathing, set your intent, Turn on your internal perceptual processes. And the last thing in the recipe, or the chocolate part of the recipe we're going to talk about, is the sound, the binaural beat sound. I notice I don't have my little remote button pusher here, so I'll go back here. A sound coming in one ear, and a sound coming in the other ear. And it's the difference in frequency between the sound in one ear and the sound in the other ear that yields this phenomenon called binaural beating. Now, this is a very unique auditory phenomenon because in one earphone, the wah-wah-wah doesn't exist. It's just wah. In the other earphone, the wah-wah-wah doesn't exist. It's just a wah. But when you put them together, the brain creates this sound, this warbling sound, okay? And that's very different than if the warbling sound is created from two speakers, because then the sound is coming together from the speakers, interfering with each other, wave interference patterns create, and even if you had just one ear, you would hear wah, 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 wah. That's not binaural beating. That's monaural beating. It's only when it happens inside your brain that we refer to it as binaural beating. But I'm not saying one is like super better than the other. I mean, people have been chanting for millennia. People have been beating drums and dancing for millennia. 
It's just that now, from the 20th century forward, we invented these things called earphones so we could create binaural beats. But this idea of one sound and the other sound added together is probably <coughs> illustrated. Got a question, Skip. Is it, is it like a harmonic of the two frequencies, or no? Harmonic, no, because a harmonic would uh, be, in our understanding, of divided by octaves and thirds and fifths right. and so forth and so on. This is offset just by a few cycles per second. In this case, four cycles per second. The determination of how wide apart you can make the two sounds is based on the physiology of the animal to which the sound is exposed. So in human beings, we can hear binaurally from zero to about 20 cycles per second. A bird with a little teeny tiny head can hear from about 30 to 60 or 80 cycles per second, but can't hear the low frequencies. An elephant with a great big head <laughs> hears very low frequencies, but doesn't get above about eight cycles per second because the cranium is so large. It all has to do with the fact that we got built, these machines got built, to be able to detect the direction of sound. Now, in humans, if the sound is over about 1,200 cycles per second, over 1,200 cycles per second, we tell the direction of the sound by the loudness. It bounces off the outside of the ear, and we detect, oh, it's louder over there, so the sound must be coming over there. But if it's below about 1,200 cycles per second, we tell the loudness by the difference in the phase of the wave. This very low sound comes rolling in here, it goes in this ear, and then it wraps around our head and goes in this ear. microsecond later and our brains have learned to detect the phase difference and say oh there's the sound over there works very very well with very very low sounds and birds have used this because they can ventriloquate they can do bird song that makes the predator think they're located over there because they can phase shift the sound in human beings that's how we tell where sounds are just walking around the day. If they're low frequency, it's because we turn our head, and we did as young kids, we turn our head and, and get rewarded, oh, oh, that's where the sound is coming from. And we learn the process. We don't have to calculate in our heads. See, that was 2.3 microseconds later. <laughs> the way from, you know, it's just something we learn. Then we invent stereo headphones. And we put one sound in this ear and a slightly out of phase sound in this ear. And then it doesn't matter which way we turn our heads, we're trapped between the two different sounds. What is the brain to do? Wah, 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 wah. It makes us think we are hearing an auditory phenomenon. It makes us think we are hearing the pulsing. Because that's how the brain resolves the difference between the two. 
And yet it is not an illusion because we can put an electrode on top of the head and actually see neural activity going wah, 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 wah. So we know that the brain is actually responding to the sounds, that it's not an illusion of the sounds. But that isn't the way in which the brain changes its overall pattern. Because the way neurology understands the change in overall brainwave patterns is through a wet system. Okay, this is a wet system of the brain theory as opposed to the old clock theory. Okay, or 150 years ago when they thought all this funny tissue going around was the way in which the blood in the body was cooled. They didn't think it had anything to do with thinking. I mean, put your hands up there, it is hot, isn't it? That must be the way the body cools the blood. But today, in our wet system of the brain, we think it's neurotransmitters that change the brain frequency rate. And these neurotransmitters come from the reticular activating system. So if we go over here, we say the binaural beating originates in the brainstem, in the olivary nuclei. For the most part, this ear is, we'll say, wired, actually not electrical wires. This is wired, metaphorically, to this side of the brainstem. This ear is wired to this side of the brainstem, the olive. Okay? In the olivary nuclei, where they cross over, is the first time the brain gets the input from both. So we can say the beating part of this originates down in the olivary nucleus, because that's the first time they come together. Almost. Actually, a little bit leaks across the corpus callosum, but don't worry about that. Okay. For the most part, it comes together down here in the olivary nucleus. Right next to the olivary nucleus is, I want to look at that, but I got to point that way is the reticular activating system. Now we talked about the reticular activating system as the way it controls our thinking processes. In this case, the reticular activating system is what controls what part of the brain processes these signals. Now we know visual signals are processed back here in the occipit, right? We know that auditory signals are processed up here in the auditory cortex. But normally these areas of the brain are just sort of on cruise control. Somebody has to tell them to wake up and process these sounds. It's like on automatic pilot. But there's an air traffic controller in this case called the reticular activating system. All of our senses first go to the reticular activating system, except for smell. The rest of the senses go to the reticular activating system, and it says, hey, you guys in the occipit, wake up. There's some input coming in, and it's your turn to process. Hey, you guys in the auditory cortex, so forth and so on, except for smell. That's on automatic. That's a sort of reptilian reaction. But in the higher order of senses, it goes first to the reticular activating system. When that's not working so well, like when you're on LSD, that's called synesthesia. You know, it's like, whoa, man, the walls are bleeding. I can hear them. Okay. That's called synesthesia. When the wrong part of the brain is processing the input information. Okay? But when it all works, the reticular activating system tells this part of the brain to wake up or tells this part of the brain to wake up, so forth and so on. So the way hemisync works, because the reticular activating system is right next to the Oliver side, and it's a sensory input, the way hemisync works is it comes down here into the core of the reticular activating system to a very special set of neurons called the cholinogenic neurons. 
These cholinergenic neurons down inside the reticular activating system are very special kind of neurons. They can actually change the permeability of the cell walls. Now, the reason they do that is they allow more neurotransmitter, acetylcholine in this case, to pass through. What regulates the activity of the cortex up here is the balance of neurotransmitters. It's like a formula balance, a little chemical formula. Change the chemical formula and you change between being wide awake and alert and being wide awake and sleepy. So it is the cholinogenic neurons that regulate the flow of acetylcholine that are balanced with noradrenaline and serotonin that are the principal neurotransmitters that regulate our brain wave arousal. Okay, just the brain wave arousal. Not the experience you're having, but the brain wave arousal. Okay? So the hemisync tones then affect the permeability of the cell walls coming out of the cholinergenic neurons are medically they're called fountains, but we can think of them as little hoses. Little hoses that actually carry the neurotransmitter acetylcholine up to all over the cortex. They're physical things and they pass physical fluid, neurotransmitters, up to the neurons all over the cortex. By changing the permeability of the cell walls to the input of sound, it regulates the levels of acetylcholine in balance with serotonin and noradrenaline, thereby changing the arousal levels of the cortex and can be adjusted by adjusting the sound patterns, whether it's wide awake beta or it's BBW. So when you go home, you know, to your co-workers and your family and your friends and your loved ones, and they say, listen, you went to that Monroe Institute place and you had that talk by Skip Atwater. How does hemisync work? You just want to say, hemisync works really well. Because <laughs> they're probably not asking you what I just said. You know, if you start out, well, hemisync works through the reticular activating system by altering the permeability of the cell walls, the cholinergic neurons, allowing for noradrenaline to mix with acetylcholine and serotonin. And they're like, what? I just want to know how hemisync works. However, however, sometimes somebody says, no, I mean, what is the mechanism of action? Were they just hypnotizing you, or is there really a scientific mechanism of action? Well, I wrote it all down. So, you, so what you do is you run back in the house and say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, Skip, pass out the paper for us. Okay. Did I see somebody put their hand up? They had a question? Yeah, I did. Okay. One slide you said coherence. And so these, and establishment coherence between brainwave frequencies. The way hemisync is built, rather than just having a sine wave input, which would habituate in the brain, get a mechanically repeated input, the brain's going to habituate. It's a very complex waveform made up of many binaural beats, sometimes ranging between four and seven different binaural beats at one time, which, if you reverse your Fourier transform, you find out there is a very complex waveform interaction. This is Marcus Leader, and you have been listening to The Shaman's Brew on Jackalope 105 FM on the Jackalope Media Network.